All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Rad Dad Show. I'm Rob. I am Sal. Sorry, Sal is messing with his phone and quieting it before we start this episode. This episode is going to be all about wine. Yes, you heard it right. We are go- going to drink wine. I usually don't drink wine, but for my listeners, I will. No, Rob doesn't drink wine. He just whines. Ha, 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 dad <laughs> joke. And with us, we have Jessica Shinnick. Did I say that right? That is correct. All right. Welcome to the show. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm, my name's Jessica Shinnick. Well, Shinnick Guerrero now. I'm hyphenated now. I got married four months ago, so. Yeah. <laughs> Thank she you. Goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was it everything so, you imagined and more? Yeah, yeah. I just have a lot more vowels in my name than, nice. than I was ever used to. So Guerrero, very Italian. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been great. And uh, we actually both work in the wine and spirits business. So uh, started out about 14 years ago, working for the uh, Stu Leonard, as everybody I'm sure knows out in Bergen County. Uh, he has a, a big wine division. So I'm one of their uh, business consultants and I kind of zip around the tri-state and stop into all of his wine and liquor stores and give the managers advice on what kind of spirits and wine they should be selling. So it's a pretty good gig. So can you be considered a sommelier? I am. I have a sommelier certification, actually. So I'm excited that you guys know how to pronounce it, because when I first got that certification, my mom kept telling people that I was a Somalian. They're like, (laughs) oh, is she like, is she adopted? And I was like, no, no, mom, it's sommelier. Sommelier, it's French, mom. So she finally says it right now. So people don't think I'm adopted anymore. Just don't ask Rob <laughs> to say it. Sommelier, right? Oh, there you go. Fancy. No, we haven't drank anything yet. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you guys have to pop that bottle. You have the uh, the first wine that we're going to taste there. And, and we're going to go do a nice lineup. You have, well, we're going to taste three wines tonight. Just trying to keep it simple. A little uh, dad wine 101 we're going to do. And the first bottle is the Fontenelle Prosecco. It's a sparkling wine. So oh, you popped it. Nice. That was it. That was it. Very good. So Prosecco, do you guys know a little bit? Tell me how much you know about wine. Rob, I know you said you don't really like wine very much. So nope. You're, you gonna te- you're teaching me tonight and all our listeners. Well, I, I okay, think cool. you are more qualified than I to speak about wine. I, I, I don't brag that I know about wine. I, I know which flavors I like or what tastes I like or what brands I like. Other than, you know, I, they're red, they're white. Some are sparkly, some are not. Yes, true. <laughs> the first one is sparkly that you're having. So we're going to taste kind of in that order. You kind of go in, in, in order of intensity when you're trying different wines all at once. So we're going to try this nice, light, sparkling wine, Prosecco. Prosecco always comes from Italy. That's always a good hint that you know where it's from if it's a always Prosecco. Always from Italy. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Prosecco is, it's a, it's like a protected uh, place of origin, actually. So they can only put Prosecco on the label if it comes from that place. I did not know that. That's interesting. <laughs> Very so fancy. My t- <laughs> just, oh, my God. I just spilled some on this table. <laughs> okay, next episode, Wine Pouring 101. Yeah. <laughs> the proper way to hold the bottle and pour it. anyway did you guys give that a good chill it's always good to like chill the the sparks down oh perfect because you know what happens if you don't chill down your sparkling wine 
like huge explosion. It would have been like all over the table if you didn't make sure it was chilled down. So that's a little expert's tip. Always chill your your sparkling wine at least two hours before you're going to drink it. So what should we be tasting in this? So this is definitely, this is so, much different than my bourbon. Yeah. So you're going to get like little nuances of like peach nectar, a little bit of apple pear. Are you getting that on the nose? I get the pear. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Listen, wine is so subjective. That's why like people love, love wine because it, it is whatever you make it. So if you smell apple, Rob and, and Sal smells pear, it's totally fine because it's really whatever you think that it is. Are we supposed to swish the um, Prosecco around? Like uh, uh, You could, except it's going to kind of mitigate the carbonation a little bit. You usually don't swirl the, the bubbly ones too much because then the bubbles kind of go away. But when you're tasting any other kind of wine, giving it a little swirl in the glass, it kind of aerates it. So air gets kind of pumped in there and it opens up the aromatics and the flavors in the wine. So go ahead. You could take another sip. And do you feel like the bubbles on your tongue, just like if you're having a soda or something like that? Yep. So like the Prosecco, like bubbles in Prosecco, the carbonation, the French call it perlage. Rob, you could probably say that since you could say sommelier. Perlage. <laughs> the perlage, that's... That's the term that the French used to talk about the little strings of bubbles, like in champagne. So these yeah, bubbles in Prosecco, the yeah, they're a little bigger in Prosecco than they are in, in a champagne, like from France. Perlage. Yes, the perlage, the little strings of bubbles. So yeah, and people always ask, like, what's the difference between Prosecco and champagne? And it's really where it comes from. So champagne always comes from the northern region in France called champagne make it easy and yeah. it's usually like four <laughs> yeah so if you guys had any like fancy champagne at your weddings or anniversaries you're probably paying you know 40 bucks or more a bottle but prosecco is more of uh the everyday man's bubbly and you can get good bottles between like 10 and 15 bucks a bottle so Where what's the big draw <laughs> to dom p dom perignon is one of the oldest champagne houses Right. And it's got it's a lot to do with the marketing. Right. They've put a big marketing budget behind it. Moet Hennessy, um, you know, really, really invested a lot of money in promoting that brand. So a lot of it, a lot of it, when you look at the price of the wine is sometimes the marketing behind it. But also it can be the ingredients, just like if you go to like a, a place in the city and you get a burger for like 50 bucks that has like little gold flakes on it and uh, truffle butter and whatever else they put on the bun, the ingredients, and then like the chef who's making it right. That's what makes that burger more expensive than if you go to McDonald's and you get a Big Mac for five bucks. So wine, it's kind of like the same thing. It's about, you know, maybe it's from a special vineyard site or maybe it's from a vineyard that's been around for 200 years. So the, the age of the vines are really old, which makes for a better, better wine. Um, maybe they have a rock star winemaker who's making the wine too. So all of those things kind of go into the price of the bottle. So Dom P, since they're a very well-established brand, they've been around for a long time, they're commanding a higher price than some of the other wines that are maybe other champagnes that are like 40 or $50. So you're kind of paying for the name. It's not bad though. I honestly really don't like wine, and this is pretty good. This is not. Wine. Yeah, that's good. It's prosecco. That's like no, a little entry level, entry level wine for you, it, prosecco. That's about where I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's gonna wake up on Sunday. He's gonna be having prosecco and orange juice. <laughs> that's called a mimosa. You have mimosas yeah. on Sunday? 
No, but I wish I knew that while I was consulting for six years. I could have got mimosas on my way to Hong Kong. Have you ever had a mimosa? No. I don't know what you're missing. Yeah, you, you should the glass, take the leftovers. You fill the glass three quarters of the way up with, with champagne or Prosecco, and you just do a splash of OJ. So I'm comparing this to how we taste bourbon, right? And you sniff it, you enjoy the aroma. and this, But this isn't as harsh as no. all the bourbon, but it's really light and, and I won't say flavorful, but I can't like... With bourbon, I'm used to oak or the cinnamon or the vanilla. This is like very fruity. Like it's it's a light drink. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's dry. Is it supposed to be the dry? Yeah, the bottle says extra, it says extra dry. Okay. So that that's a question. How do they make prosecco dry? What makes it dry? So it has to do with how much sugar sort of they start out with that's in in the grapes. So they their winemakers are in the vineyards, right? And they're looking at they're taking a grape off the vine, right? When it's getting close to ripening and they're actually measuring the sugar level. It's called the BRICS level, B-R-I-X, level of the, that's the sugar level in the grapes. So they know exactly the perfect time when the grape has just the right amount of acidity in it and just the right amount of sugar in it. And that's how they know, depending on the style of wine they're gonna make, when to pick the grapes and then start fermenting them into the wine. So if they want a wine that's gonna be sweeter, right? They let those grapes hang out on the vines for a little longer. They develop more sweetness, more ripeness, and then they're going to start with more sugar in the beginning product. So the more sugar, the higher alcohol content. That also, yeah. And they could stop, like you can stop the fermentation process. It's kind of like just when you guys talk about bourbon, when they're fermenting the grains and stuff for, for making bourbon or whiskey, it's the same kind of thing that's happening with grapes. And you can uh, arrest the fermentation, they say, like you can stop it so that It'll, it'll still have a certain level of sweetness and then a lower level of alcohol. Or you can let it keep fermenting and the yeast keeps turning the sugar into more alcohol. Yeah, that makes for a uh, bottle of kick-ass wine. So what do you think of that one? Rob, would you drink it again? Yeah, probably. Since this I'm almost good. done with my glass. I like it. Yeah, Rob chugged it. <laughs> I mean You're going to like put that in your bag with a bottle of OJ for the next trip to Hong Kong. Have a nice mimosa. <laughs> this, is a, this is a nice Prosecco. I like this. I've had Prosecco before, but this is, um, I like it. Yeah, it's what, Fontanelle what is, is the winery. Price? It's under 15 bucks. I want to say it's like, four, I think, $14.99 on the shelf. Available, nice. of course, that Stu Leonard's wine. Leonard's. Plug that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to give him a plug. Yes. yes. Um, I mean, yeah, but it's 14 bucks. Delicious. That's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it. a really nice bottle. And like I said, like if you go to, you know, getting a champagne versus getting a Prosecco, if you're going to go to somebody's house and you want to get like a housewarming gift or you just want to be a, a good guest, like whose house are you guys at now? Mine. Rob's. So Sal, did you bring a bottle or something over? I did not because it wasn't. <laughs> I brought a bottle every time I came here. I'd, <laughs> I'd have to get a separate job just for that. Yeah, that's true. All right, so say you're going to somebody else's house other than Rob, right? You want to bring a nice bottle with you? Prosecco is always a good way to go because even if they're not big wine drinkers, chances are next time they have a party or someone comes over, they're celebrating something, having any bottle of bubbly is always a good idea. Plus mimosas. Yeah. Mimosas for Hong Kong or wherever you're going. See, we we (laughs) like to do, uh, sometimes over the summer, we do uh, Sunday brunches. I'll invite my family over. And it'll start like 10 in the morning. And that's when the Prosecco starts flowing. Yeah, that's perfect. And you could do, if you want to be really fancy, you can make a Bellini. I was just about to ask OJ. you, 
I've heard that name before, but what's what makes a Bellini? So instead of using orange juice, you're using peach nectar. Ooh. So it's like peach, peach flavored instead of orange flavored. It, they do a lot of those in Italy. Bellini is a very, a very uh, classic cocktail from from Italy. And if you want to be super fancy, like maybe for like Mother's Day when that's coming up, like Rob, you want to do something nice, breakfast in bed for your wife, give her a little, put a little prosecco in the glass, a little peach nectar, and then you can garnish it with a little strawberry and be super fancy. You, you take it super to the <laughs> on the soccer. Are you writing this down? What do you What do you mean? I have to. Edit, I'm going to edit this, so I take notes. <laughs> When's Mother's Day? Uh, the day that it is sometime in May. So it's I, in May. I, I, and it's on Sunday. It's on Sunday. I'll be on. No, I won't be on the baseball field. Baseball we'll be, we'll, Saturday. Dude, we got to be in Staten Island on Mother's Day for a soccer game. Do any of our live uh, listeners want uh, have any questions regarding Prosecco? What live listeners? We're not. We're not projecting this live. I was going to say, I didn't know we were live. No, we're not. Did you guys open? You have the next one open. You got the white uh, ready to go on the Which ice? Which one should we open next? Well, I think we have a white and a red there, right? For part, right. As part of the tasting, you have the Pinot Grigio. We do. Yes. Yep. Then I would open that one up next. Is that why you don't drink wine? You know, because you don't like to open them? I wish I would have known. I could have given you some wine that comes with the screw cap. As I got older, people were saying that a lot of vineyards are going towards screw cap wines. Because yeah, people, that's true. The corks were expensive. I, I forget what the reasoning was. But a lot of vineyards are, are moving towards screw cap wines. It's definitely true. The, it's a lower cost for sure for the winery. And there's like things that can happen when you put natural cork in a, in a wine bottle. Just because it's like, you know, a naturally occurring substance. There's something called, um, all, the abbreviation is TCA, trichloroanisole. And it's like a little bacteria. It's not bad for you. It doesn't kill you. But it lives in the vineyards and it lives in the wineries sometimes. And it can, it's called um, cork taint. And the cork can become tainted with this bacteria. And it makes, you know, once they put it in the bottle and they seal it, right? If a cork has been tainted, it can make the wine smell and taste really funky, almost like it gets like a wet cardboard smell to it. So if you've ever like opened up a bottle of wine that has a cork in it, and then you smell it and you're like, oh my God, that's something's weird about this wine. It could be because the bottle is what they say, corked a corked bottle of wine. That's how you pour. So that's why a, a lot of wineries have moved towards using a screw cap because just for production purposes to keep the product, you know, from becoming tainted. But I, I, never, I never knew that. Yeah, no, it's a wine trade secret. No, it's uh, <laughs> it's something that it's something that happens. And uh, but a lot of wineries they don't want to do it because they feel like it takes the romance out of the wine, the whole process of having a bottle of wine. You know, for Rob it's not he, he doesn't like it so he, man he's down he's down with this tonight <laughs> i know so so wait some vineyards don't want to go towards it uh, the screw screw top because you said it takes the romance out of the wine is that what you said yeah yeah they they think you know there's there's still that perception from from customers right that that a screw cap wine means that it's cheap or it's not as good so a lot of wineries stay away that. from it yeah but a lot of like, we call them the new world wineries, like Chile, Argentina, Australia, a lot of those wineries, USA, they're going more towards the screw caps. And then when you look back at like the French wines and the Italian wines and wines from Spain, more of the old world wines, they tend to be more traditional. And some of them even have laws governing how exactly a wine can be packaged. And some of them do require the wine to stay in cork. So there's a lot of all these other crazy things at play when you talk about cork versus screw cap. Interesting. And do you, 
just for our listeners and, and for us. Now, does a sommelier typically know that or is that because you're in the industry? I think a sommelier would, would also know that. I like took a different route. Like I got my SOM certification while I was working in wine and liquor retail. A lot of other people will sort of start off in the restaurant industry and get their SOM certification. Um, and then, you know, either they stay in the restaurant industry their whole lives or they go into consulting or some of them do retail. But um, yeah, I think in general, that's part of the 101, the 101 class. And you learn a little bit about the packaging of wines and things like that. So now we have this second bottle of wine that we open. It is a Santa Giada Pinot Grigio. Perfect. Alto Adige from Italy. There's the Italian coming out, Sal. That's okay. good. Perfect pronunciation. That is it's a bottle from Italy. So now I was always told that the more descriptive the back label is as far as location of the grapes or, or the vineyard or where they, where they grew the grapes, the better the wine is. Is that correct? It can vary, but that's probably usually true. Like if you go and grab a like a big giant magnum size bottle from the grocery store and you flip it over and it's something that costs like, you know, $6.99 for a 1.5 liter size bottle. There's probably not a very long description or a place of origin that it's really designated that it comes from. So I think that is, that's definitely partially true. But so yeah, usually when there's, when it's, there's like, we kind of talked about the rules of that, like some Italian and Spanish and French um, wine growing regions have there's rules um, that also govern what goes on the label. So if it comes from the Alto Adige region of Italy, which is like in the Alps, so really nice, like cool climate, um, it's, it has to be, they're held to certain standards, right? If they're gonna put Alto Adige on that label. So they definitely wanna get that on there so people know where it comes okay, from because so, they know it represents quality. So if somebody was buying a bottle of California wine and it just says California, California yeah. is a very big state. So, but if they narrowed it down to the particular county or location in, in uh, California, obviously for marketing, it's better. And you know, you're getting a decent wine because if that, that region happens to be a very well-known region for wine producing, then, you know, you're getting a good bottle. Yes, exactly. So if it says like Napa Valley, right? Napa Valley, California on the label from, you know, that's, considered to be more prestigious than if it just says regular California on the label for sure. So the more you narrow in and then like, if it says, you know, a specific vineyard, like Stag's Leap Vineyard in Napa Valley, California, the more you hone in and the smaller it, that the designation that they make, the higher quality level it's considered to be. Cause that means that the grapes are only coming from that spot. So those like, you know, hundred dollar, 200 and up bottles of wine that you see on restaurant lists that have like Stag's Leap, you know, AVA designation on there. That right. means that it's coming just from that little subsect, that little area there. Yeah, and but restaurants tend to overkill on a bottle, right or wrong? Yeah, there's, well, there's restaurant markup and then there's retail markup. So restaurant markup is usually like 300, 400% on a bottle of wine, whereas retail markup is like 30%. And that's because they're covering their overhead costs. It's the cost of operating a restaurant. That's how they make their money a lot of the time is on, on the alcohol. But we were, uh, when I first moved to where we are, we went to um, dinner with the neighbors for Valentine's Day. And my neighbor, big wine drinker, he, he mentioned the bottle, which I know 
cost like, I don't know, $12.99. And he picked that off the wine list at the restaurant. The restaurant was selling it for, I think, $59.99. Yeah. I was floored. That's how they make their money. That's insane. You're not making money on how making your money on the food typically. No, typically not. What would you typically pair this this bottle of wine with? Pinot Grigio. Uh, definitely, you kind of match match the intensity of the dish with the intensity of the wine flavor, right? So that's kind of like light, crisp, refreshing. So if you're gonna have like a nice garlicky chicken Caesar salad, something like that, this would be a really good partner for that. You know, this isn't something you would pair up with like a big juicy steak because the steak would like totally overwhelm the wine. So you always want to match the intensity level, like the flavor levels. So that would be good. Or if you're going to do like shrimp cocktail, uh, maybe like a nice scampi, scallops, any of that stuff. Sorry, I didn't have dinner yet. So I'm a little hungry. <laughs> Those would all be nice pairings for sure. I never understood how to pair a wine with a meal. I never, that, you just clarified that for me. So if it's a light dish, you want a more of a, uh, a fresh, crisp, uh, I don't want to say fruity, but a light wine. Exactly. Yeah. For a light dish, you want to go with a light wine. And like, listen, there's no hard and fast rules for pairing. Like if you think that a really big, giant, heavy Cabernet tastes good with your grilled cheese sandwich, then you should do it. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's like the problem with wine is that people get wings. so like, there's so much like mystery behind it and people get really intimidated by it. But my job, like and every, every sommelier on the planet it's everyone's job to like make wine way more relatable and less intimidating. And really when it comes to pairing things there, there should, there should never be any hard and fast rules and no, no psalm on the planet should ever tell you, you can't drink this wine with that food. You know, we'll make suggestions, but ultimately it's up to the consumer and what, what you, what you like to drink with, with your food. Everybody's palate is different. Exactly. Rob might taste apples and oranges. I might taste pears and grapes. Yeah. I even had someone, I, we tasted some, uh, a group the other day, we did like this giant virtual tasting for the uh, Greek Orthodox churches of Bergen County. And we poured this wine actually. And some people even got like, someone said cantaloupe or like honeydew melon. So really, again, it's, it's super subjective. There's no wrong answer. Now I got dragon I fruit. Have to, <laughs> sure. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever actually tasted dragon fruit. But that's the funny thing, right? When you look at wine, you look at some of the descriptions of wines too. I don't know if you ever go online and like look up wine or whatever, even with the bourbons that you guys are always tasting, right? When you read like Whiskey Advocate or Wine Advocate, any of those publications, some of these critics like really geek out and they use like terms and descriptors that most people can't relate to or like I've never tasted that weird random fruit from Japan that no one's ever heard of before, you know? So it's like, you got to make it relatable for your, yourself and, and whatever you think. Yeah, I agree. Because sometimes when we're, when we're reading some of those reviews or the website of the bottle, they get come up with some funky tastes or smells. It's like, what? Well, we had the other one, yeah. dried, dried grass, and I actually smelled it. Yeah, I was trying <laughs> to think of, of ones that we've said. Dry grass was one. And then there was other ones where it's like, spice something. Toasted honeysuckle was one of them. Yeah, like, that, what, something what the like hell's that. toasted honeysuckle? Another one though, too. Yeah, that drove me nuts that I did. I couldn't even relate to. So so far, any dads out there that really want to gain some points with their misses? Sunday morning prosecco with some orange <laughs> juice. Breakfast in bed with either pancakes or some wa waffles, or this lovely 
Pinot Grigio from the Alto Adige region of Italy. Fresh, crisp. So far, both of them are really fresh and light and crisp. Or a Bellini. You missed a Bellini. A Bellini, yes. Which is Prosecco. And Pear Nectar. Oh, there you go. My Garnished peach. with peach. Yes. Peach Nectar. Peach peach. Ne- Garnished with what? You just... You just made something new up with the pear. That's that's the sal that's the sal breakfast special. We don't know what that is, but <laughs> waffles, waffles, <laughs> waffles for breakfast. Yeah, if you guys do that, your wives will be super happy. My wife gets it every Sunday. Gets what every Sunday, Sal? Please elaborate. Jimmy Dean sausage. <laughs> Jess is like, why did I come on this? <laughs> Yeah, some place, some wineries will use synthetic cork and some of them will use real cork. Just depends. It's the preference of the winemaker. Do you remember how to pour now? You should always pour with the label facing whoever you're pouring for. You learn that, yeah, pour it for yourself. So make the label face towards you. That's part of the service exam, the sommelier test that you have to pass. So that they can read the label? Yeah, it's nice to always have it facing towards the guest when you're pouring it. When eating at a restaurant and, and purchasing a bottle of wine, they bring you the wine, you look at the label, you say, yes, that's the label, that's what I ordered, that's what I picked. He pops the cork, mm-hmm. he gives you the cork, you're supposed to smell it. He puts like a tablespoon of wine in your glass, right? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to swish it around and taste it. What happens if you told the, the, the waiter, that, um, I don't like it? Is he supposed to walk away with that bottle you just picked? Yeah, a thousand percent. That's what good customer service is for sure. I if see, you, I've, never, you, I've ne- never turned a bottle down. Yeah, because you know what? The wine could also be could be corked, right? The new the new term that we've learned for when a wine smells really funky and and off, like there's something wrong with it. There, there's a chance that the wine it happens to like about one to three percent of all bottles that have a real cork. So totally totally permissible for you to smell and taste the wine and be like uh this wasn't what i was looking for and then your server should a thousand percent take that back and bring you back something different i've never had a, a corked bottle of wine but this is the color yourself very lucky the color on this is is oh my god super dark red yeah that's the so you're drinking the malbec now right yes okay. the quinte so do you see how kind of how we went up in intensity when we're doing the order of what wines you tasted yeah this one is obviously like the most intense. So you wouldn't want to try this one first because then your mouth would kind of be like a little too fatigued to try those, the white and the sparkling. So for our listeners, we are, uh, we just popped the bottle of Grand Reserva Quinte. It's a Malbec 2018 from the Maple Valley wine of Dosa, Chile. Chile. Yeah, it's a Chilean Malbec. Ooh, I've never had a Chilean Malbec. Yeah, they're they're out there. Usually you're you're seeing a lot of Malbec from Argentina, but Chile actually grows a, a nice big portion of Malbec grapes as well. And just so everybody knows, it scored 91 points. So how does that rating system go? I was I was always curious how that went. Well, it's definitely it can be a little arbitrary, right? Depending on who the rater is. And there's so many when we talked before about like whiskey advocate and some of those those big publications that you that you read for the whiskeys they have the same thing for wine there's wine spectator there's wine advocate there's wine enthusiast there's wine report there's like a million different publications and they all have wine writers that work for them and they all have their own sort of scoring system so pretty much if you're like shopping for a bottle of wine and you see something with a 90 or above rating some wine critic has put their name on it and and given a rating of 90 and above you can kind of use that as a nice gauge to say, all right, this is probably a pretty good bottle of wine. The wine world is like a solace for know-it-alls and all, and all those kind of things. People like really never like to be wrong. 
about a wine if you're working in the wine business. So no one's ever going to put their name or stamp of approval on something unless they think it's really good. Interesting. If you're kind of in a, a wine shop and you're just like looking around and you're not sure what to get and you see a wine that has that 90, 90 point rating or above on it, it's a safe bet to grab it. it ties back to the guy's palate. What did he have to eat that day? His palate is different than the guy sitting next to him. But do they try it just once or do they try it multiple times and then essentially give the, uh, give their rating? Yeah, they'll usually get, like the winery will usually send them like a couple, like three or four bottles anyway, just to make sure A, that nothing's corked. Um, and they'll usually try it at different, maybe they'll try it, you know, in the afternoon and they'll try it again at night and they'll open up different bottles just to make sure that there's consistency um, between the bottles too. Um, and then they just figure out, you know, what score they want to give it. And it, like you said, it, it can vary because everybody's palate is so different. So some people like they know that Anthony Gaioni from, from Italy, right. Who's a big wine critic in, in, in Italy. If he gives something a 90 or above, they know that they're going to like that wine. But if they see 90 and above from spectator, maybe they followed that before and were didn't agree. Maybe that something was 92 points from wine spectator and the people just didn't like it. So you kind of like learn depending on how much you're drinking, which critic, which critic you really want to like follow essentially what, whose suggestions you want to take. Now, is there a different way you should taste the, a red versus a white? Uh, other than really giving the white a nice chill so that it's, uh, you know, a little bit above room temperature, you could still taste it the same way you, you pour it in the glass, use all your senses, right? You look at it, swirl it around, you check out like what's the viscosity of the wine. Then you're going to put it up to your nose. You're going to smell it. And you're going to say like, what aromatics am I getting out of this? See if you can, you can pick any particular fruit aroma out or any, if it's been aged in oak, right? With the reds, just like with bourbons, if you get any like oak on the nose or cedar, that's a pretty common descriptor. And then you taste it and you kind of let it sit on your palate. And then after you swallow, right, you kind of like see how it lingers. And if it really lingers on your palate for a long time, that's what people would call a long finish, right? When they say, okay, this wine is medium in body and it has a long finish. That means it kind of like the taste stays in your mouth for a long time. Lingers. That makes sense. Lingers longer. Yeah, exactly. I'm confused. There's no burn. No. <laughs> yeah that's because it's a good wine I, but i do see you taking big gulps it's not bad no this is a good melbeck i like this what's the price yeah. point on this uh, melbeck that's under 15 dollars as well yeah. sorry i didn't spoil you guys for the wine 101 i picked everything that was 15 <laughs> and under no no it's it's delicious I like it. I always wondered, do you chill red wines or you do not chill red wines? Because there's some people that chill their red wine. Yeah. I mean, it's your personal preference. If you like it chill, then go for it. The only thing that happens with red wine, if you if it's like super, super cold, is that you miss out on a lot of the nuances in the wine. It's almost like when reds are too cold you and you, then you put it up to your nose to smell it, you're not going to get as much out of it as if it comes closer down to room temperature. So I, I have a friend, he makes wine. And he probably has over, I don't know, 250 cases in cold storage. And he didn't add any preservatives to his wine. His wine, okay. he recently gave me two bottles, is over 10 years old. And it's fantastic. No preservatives. I was shocked when, when, I, when he said there was no preservatives. And he said the reason why he can maintain the wine is because he keeps it chilled. I don't know how true that is but it seems to work for him. Yeah, no, there's a lot of wineries too. They have like cellars that are underground, right? A lot of wineries in, in Napa and especially all across Europe that are just at this constant, like slightly cooler temperature. 
the, the most important thing about storing wine for a long period of time isn't what the exact temperature is. It's just that you stay, it's that it's a constant temperature. So if you're gonna keep your wine fridge at 65 degrees, then keep it at 65 degrees. That's what it should always be at if you wanna maintain that freshness and the quality of the wine. Don't, you know, keep it in, keep it in the garage where it, it fluctuates in temperature from, you know, 45 degrees to 90 degrees in the summer that's not good for the wine at all. So it does make sense that your friend is keeping it at like this nice, constant, cool temperature. You're gonna have to get me a bottle. I'm interested to try this. Yes, absolutely. So now what would one pair this delicious uh, Malbec with? Well, I know that you, you, you got like those juicy, jammy kind of flavors out of there, right? You got like blackberry, plum, a little bit of that going on. The and it also, yes. and it's a little bit more like medium to full embodied, I would say. So, right. It's like more intense for sure than the other two you tried. Yes. So let's kick up the intensity level of the food that you're going to have with it. So I would say a nice juicy burger off the grill, something with grill marks on it, maybe like a, a flank steak sliced up. That would be really good. Any kind of like juicy meaty thing that you're going to do off the grill, or if you're a vegetarian or a pescatarian. Um, maybe you want to do some nice juicy grilled portobellos, still kind of meaty, right? Ooh, yeah. But grilled portobellos are, are awesome. Nice. How about a, a nice little... tomahawk steak? <laughs> yes, that too. That too. Rob, tomahawk no. steak. I'll bring peppers you can put on your grill. Yeah, <laughs> do the peppers and portobellos. That would be great with this wine. That's First perfect. First time I grilled, uh, what'd you make? Grilled, it, was, it wasn't peppers, right? It was hot peppers, long peppers? Oh, summer. No, no, you made grilled peppers. Oh, summer. yeah, the, little, the, the sweet oh, peppers. Oh, so good. Yeah. Little sweet peppers in the bag and grilled them. Oh, that sounds good. You yeah, you could do like, that. Uh, pepperoncinis. Oh yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah, they're delicious. Get some nice crusty Italian bread. Have a little party. The mm -hmm. wine, it's perfect. Sometimes the simpler the better. You know, you don't have to be super super fancy. If it tastes good together, that's it. If if you take a bite of your food and then you're like, you can't wait to take a sip of the wine and vice versa, take a sip of the wine and you can't wait to take another bite of the food. That means it's a good pairing. Perfect pair. Yep. So light, light and light and fruity foods or light and, and, and crispy foods, you go with a, a, a fruity, crispy, light kind of wine. So are exactly. there reds that are, are, are as light as the whites? Yeah. If you wanted to do a lighter bodied red, you could do like a Pinot Noir or a, a Beaujolais. Um, Beaujolais. Those are both really, that. yeah, Beaujolais is a, it's a French grape from the Burgundy region, actually. And it's a super, it's a light light, easy drinking kind of wine. If you hold that wine up in your hand and you can kind of like not really see through it all the way, like it's more opaque. Yes. If you had a Pinot Noir, which is a lighter bodied red, you'd almost be able to see through it. And that's when they talk about like the body of the wine, right? A light bodied wine, think about like, like milk, skim milk is like light bodied, 2% is medium bodied and whole milk is like full bodied. Do that little comparison there. I know you guys know about milk, your dad's right. Your kids probably drink a lot of milk. Sort of. But you know it would go good with this, right? A cigar? <laughs> cigar goes with bourbon, but go well with this is a burger from one of our favorite restaurants in town. That is correct. Amster's Prospect Tavern in Waldwick. It is a family owned and operated since 1926. Amster's, Amster's Prospect Tavern is truly the place where everyone knows your name. And not just because it's run by the owner, Norm, who's a fantastic guy. They have a real family and hometown vibe with excellent pub grub like their famous mozzarella bites or cheesesteak egg rolls, one of my favorites, the cheesesteak egg rolls. 
both of which are handmade right in their kitchen. You know what's my favorite? What? The grilled cheese. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I can't get over the grilled cheese. I, I got that the other day. It's so good. If you're not in the mood for a pub grub, you can try their excellent selection of upscale weekly specials offered Thursday through Saturday, like veal osso buco, slow cooked short ribs, filet mignon, and lobster tail, just to name a few. They take pride in serving excellent food and making their customers feel at home when you are at Amsters. I was there last week. So was I. <laughs> I was there. Actually, I saw Jessica. <laughs> Fish Friday. I was, I, was, I was in the mood for fish and chips. Do you know who introduced yeah. me to the grilled cheese? And I was like, oh my God, I'm four years old now. I've never eaten <laughs> grilled cheese out, like outside of the house. Jessica introduced me to it. And I thought it was when we got it. And I was like, all right, it's a grilled cheese. You know, it's how all good right. could it be? Yeah, how good? Oh my God. <laughs> I've ordered it at least twice since then. I've probably yeah. ordered four or five times. <laughs> That would be that would be a great partner for that Malbec actually because it's a fancy grilled cheese and it's got like some smoked Gouda in there. The it's got salty, the big spread, the sweetness to it is yeah. Just Imagine that with that wine. Take a sip of that wine and be like, would I, I want a bite of that cheesy sandwich? Definitely oh, yes. That that fig jam, that smoked. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And now yeah, because just talked me into it. I can't get over the onion rings either. So you, you're, oh my god! You're I mean, running over to grab a. No, I got the onion the other night. I, I ordered. We're in the, with another family, and I ordered the onion rings for the table. I think I got one. Everyone ate them. Oh was, yeah, like, they're the thick. They're like the steakhouse style. They're like the thick, thick cut onion rings. That's why they're so good. That's what I'm gonna get next. Good times. Definitely. So oh my I, gosh, I can't believe I just looked at the time. We've been on the call for like. 40 minutes. I thought I was barely going to be able to talk for 10. Now you can't shut me up. Time flies when you're having fun. I'm drinking wine. <laughs> I think That's we're it. drinking the wine. I don't think she is. She didn't eat dinner yet. So we just talked no. about all this food. Still got to go eat dinner. Liquid dinner. So is there anything yeah. else you that we should know for Wine 101? Jessica? Really? Just try not to be intimidated. When you go pick out a bottle of wine, you know, at a wine shop or, you know, at Stu Leonard's, or if you're ordering it off the wine list at Amsters, um, any, anywhere that you are, really just ask questions, you know, don't be intimidated by it because the more that you ask, the more you're going to learn about it and the more you're going to get steered towards something that you really like. So don't be intimidated by all that, the crazy words and crazy descriptors. It's wine is whatever you want it to be, you know. For our listeners, if there was a dad out there unfamiliar with wine, new to, to wine, didn't know what to look for. Give him three things that he would need to look for if, if entering a, a liquor store looking for a bottle of wine. What are three things he should know either prior to walking in or while he's there? I would say the first thing to look for is someone who works there. <laughs> sure. Well, obviously like I you got to know what food you're going to be eating that night, right? So you're yeah. kind of steered in, in that direction, whether it's going to be a lighter wine or, 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 a, or a heavier <laughs> full body wine. Yeah. I mean, come prepared with information for sure. But any respectable wine shop like Stu Leonard's uh, has somebody working all the time that will be able to answer those questions for you. And these are people that like they drink for a living for Pete's sake. So you definitely want to tap their brains and ask them information and just come in and say, hey, listen, this is what, what I'm having for dinner tonight. You know, I usually like, you know, say I usually drink Malbec, but I'm open to trying something different if you think it's going to go better with my 
steak frites that I'm making tonight, you know? So definitely come prepared with the information. But if you walk into a little spot and maybe there's nobody around, I would say for sure, if you know you're gonna be having something heavier, then look towards the red wine section, look for a Cabernet, a Malbec. Those are those really big full-bodied wines. And if you're having something lighter like fish, steer closer towards the white wine section, um, go towards like the Pinot Grigios, Sauvignon Blancs. Those are some of the lighter style white wines that would be good with those kind of different dishes that are a little bit on the lighter side. Okay, so all you dads out there looking for wine for, for the missus for that special occasion, um, before you walk into your spot where you, where you buy your liquor, wine, whatever, make sure you know what you're eating that night. That kind of gives you an idea of which direction you're going to look at. Um, know if your, your wife has, so would a sweet tooth be, if your wife, has, if, if the missus has a sweet tooth, would you lean more towards a sweeter wine? Yeah, absolutely. If that's what she likes to drink, a lot of women that like sweeter wine or women and men really that like sweeter wine will go for like a Riesling a sweeter style Riesling or a Moscato. That's always a safe bet. Um, Moscatos are always tend to be on the sweeter side. So those are always a safe bet for someone who has a little bit of a sweet tooth. So I, my wife got into, was it last year or the year before? I forget. Riesling. Dr. Lucin was the name of the bottle. Yeah. She loved it so much. I bought a case. Of course, I, I go buy a case. And after, nice. after, the, after getting into the second bottle of the case, what do you think my wife tells me? She doesn't like it anymore. She doesn't like it anymore? I don't like it anymore. It's too sweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, your palate's constantly evolving. Yeah. That happens. When you start out, when I first started out drinking wine, I liked light, sweet wine too. And then like the more and more I tasted and learned, I started liking drier things and I got into reds, but it's the same thing with bourbon, right? Your palate is constantly yeah. evolving. Your tastes are, are changing. Um, so I'm sorry. Next time, don't buy a whole case, Sal. <laughs> yeah, well, she was forced to drink. I buy it. a whole case of Blantons. So wait, that hasn't changed. Yeah. So, so, so if you can mean... find a whole case of Blantons, I give you like major props. Yeah. That is not easy to find. So does that mean that that if we taste Stag Junior again, we might like it? No, it's horrible. <laughs> that and Old Elk. So <clears throat> and the Dickel. Oh my God, and the Dickel. We would try. Are those your top? Are, those, are, are those your tops? Um, so. I found there, there was all the rage last year sometime. There was all the rage about Stag Jr., the bourbon. So someone reached out to me and said, hey, there's there's a, a liquor store in the area that has like three or four on the shelf. So I, I zoom over there. I grab a bottle. And oh, my God, I've never had to force myself to drink a glass of bourbon. What? I, I poured the first one and I fought through it. I poured a second one and I was like, all right, this has to open up. Something's got to, you know, something ain't right. I swirled it around, left it, I left it for about 15, 20 minutes. I've never poured out a glass of bourbon. I had to pour this out. It was that bad. Really? So I call up Rob and I asked him if he wanted a bottle of Stag Jr. <laughs> <laughs> he was right. more than happy to take it. And it was horrible. Right. The only thing that was worse than that is George Dickel, um, small batch, I think. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I feel like I've heard you hate the dickle like at least four or five times when you guys right. talk about whiskey. I, gave it, I gave it a one. Oh yeah i know that was low that's yeah, super low. Uh, I, was just, I was disappointed i think because twice this has happened to me someone has recommended so someone in the store i go to has recommended the dickle and old old elk and both just didn't resonate with me right you don't yeah. like elk either right i i did it first 
but then it, it just, I don't know, something happened. I guess my, my palate evolved and it was just like, what the hell am I Your doing? wife bought a case of it for you and you decided. Yeah. No. All right. So Jessica, I think we should let you go and go grab dinner. Yeah, that would be great. My husband's like wondering where I am. I've actually been zooming with you guys from my car. <laughs> I was running so that's why my video is not on also and plus I have this very cute vineyard scene of myself in the back yes. of my zoom picture I agree. but uh yeah I was running a little behind my meetings tonight and I just like pulled up in front of the house and I had to hop on this call with you guys so he's like what the heck is this woman doing outside of the house in the car for an hour yeah. well, well listen thank you, thank you guys much. so much for having me I really I appreciate it and uh I hope that you uh your minds have been open to some fun new wines Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that I will definitely be buying the uh, uh, Fentanyl and the uh, Quinte. Those are my, so what was your favorite? My, mine's the Malbec, the Quinte. Nice. I, 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 I like Prosecco. I mean, I'll drink Prosecco for, for mimosas and stuff like yeah. that or, or special occasions, champagne. I won't drink it for just to drink, drink it. I won't go out of my way. And I'm not a white guy, so... I don't, I don't like white wines. Well, I, I shouldn't say it. I prefer reds. Sorry. He's not a white guy, everyone. Um, <laughs> with that, I'm signing off. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Have a, have a good night. And I will, I'll speak to you soon. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll get together for another, uh, some other kind of booze tasting yes. some, sometime down the road. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, right. Jessica. Bye, guys. Have a good night. Good night. And now a word from our sponsor, Dynamic Wealth Consulting, LLC, where client financial education is the driving force to the realization of goal planning and financial empowerment. Richard Latito and Dynamic Wealth Consulting specializes in developing a financial plan for clients, which includes asset management, insurance review, and estate preservation. If you don't know anything about asset management or insurance, I would highly recommend reaching out to Rich and his team. The firm assists clients ranging from young goal-oriented professionals to the retiree and everyone in between. So that means you, little Timmy, who's starting out in their career, and you, Granddad Joe, who's getting ready to retire. To have a no-obligation conversation with Dynamic Wealth Consulting, please call 201-383-2277. Tell Rich that uh, Sal and Rob from the Rad Dad Century. To those young studs just starting out, I want to give you a, very, a piece of advice here. I was, Rich is a very good friend of mine. He's a stand-up guy, honest guy. He manages my finances. He treats your money like it's his own. He wouldn't jeopardize his own money, meaning he wouldn't jeopardize yours as either. But I want to give you a piece of advice. When Rich first got started, he and I were talking about life insurance. And I was in my 20s when I had this conversation with him. And of course, when you're in your 20s, like, fuck life insurance, 20 years old, I got another 90 years to go. That was the best thing I ever did was listen to Rich. And I took his advice, I got whole life insurance. Not only does it, is it protect me for my entire life, but it also works as an investment vehicle. So now I did this 20 plus years ago. There is all my years of, of, of contributing to my, my whole life insurance. There is a little piece of the pie that I can take out whenever I want. Do you understand how it works? No, but I feel that you're going to tell me how it works. <laughs> so whole life insurance, 
if you do it at the right time is a, not a guaranteed, but it is a almost risk-free compound interest investment. So while it costs more than term, so you can get term for really cheap until you're 80, 85, 90, whatever it is, Paul's going to cost you more, but what it does is it, it's a compounding interest over the life of the investment. So since Sal did it in his twenties, Sal's now in his forties now. Easy. <laughs> I just turned 41. What the fuck? So he's had 20 years of compound interest, which if you don't know what that means, look it up. I'm not, I had three glasses of wine. I'm not going to be able to describe it to you right now. Maybe I'll put that on a future episode, but it gains a lot more the more you compound. If you look up on Instagram, any of the financial managers, they explain it very well. The whole point is when Sal reaches his age of retirement, he'll have say a million dollars to draw from in addition to his 401k, any uh, IRAs he may have uh, created, any pension. I don't know if you have pension, but any pension. So it's just another saving mechanism, which is a, uh, not a risk-free, but it is a, it is a interest increasing almost at like a 5% rate. It's a moderate rate. It's not 10 or 20%. That's the upside of it, or sorry, that's the downside of it. The upside is that you won't lose money in it. It's and out of sight, out of mind. You can either contribute monthly, you can contribute yearly, but it's out of sight, out of mind. You pay it and you're done. That's it. You forget about it just as I did for 20 years. And there's a little chunk of change waiting for me, but give Rich a call. Great guy. 201-383-2277. You got questions, life insurance. You got questions about estate planning, which actually my family and I are going through estate planning right now. Not me personally. Well, yes, me and my siblings uh, from my mom and dad talking about uh, estate preservation very, very important, especially when they're in their older ages. Rich will guide you down the, the correct path there, as he did with us. It is highly, highly important to preserve your mom and dad's estate, especially does, when, when they're older. Does Rich do wills? He does not, but he has he has a close team that he works with that he recommends and refers. So that's another, another thing for people our age in their 40s. Uh, with kids, I highly recommend getting a will. I should take my own advice though, but I know it is important because you need to figure out what's going to happen in case something were unfortunately happen to you. What happens with your kids and what happens with your money? Can I put an asterisk there? Yeah. They need living wills. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Wills. So my wife and I both have living wills. We've had them for over 10 years now. I think we got them when the kids were born. I know a lot of people, when they think about wills, you think about, oh, when you're old and lying in your deathbed, get your wills done now, especially if you have kids, you want specific instructions or you have specific instructions in the event something happens to you and you want your kids to be well cared of, okay? Because if you don't, they wind up in the system. And I know that you don't want your kids in the system. That may be a good episode in the future. Yeah. All right. So round this out. We're not doing bourbon tasting. We've... We're on three glasses of wine. I, that ain't happening. Three bottles but, of wine. Three bottles of wine. But what would be your dad lesson for tonight? Pick a good bottle of wine for the missus. That's a good. There you a, go. Pick a good bottle of wine and breakfast in bed. Beth, and, breakfast in bed on Sunday, a nice bottle of Prosecco. And you can pick it up from Stu Leonard's. You can pick up Fantanel, F-A-N-T-I-N-E-L. And it's uh, Prosecco, product of Italy. It's extra dry. It's got a, uh, like a teal teal label to it with a little bit of gold in it 
um, breakfast in bed for the wife. That's my uh, dad lesson. There you go. It doesn't have to be a holiday to do that. No, brownie points all the way. Thank you for listening.